Well, first of all, Happy New Year to you. Glad you survived whatever you did last night and you're here today. Uh, as, as I read somewhere, uh, one church described this as going from the hair of the dog to the wine at the table. If you don't know what that means, I'm not going to explain it, but at any rate, it has to do with New Year's Eve and obviously being here this morning. Um, the texts for this morning are different from what was published in the in the uh, current over this earlier this week because I changed my mind on what I was going to preach about, and uh, I didn't originally want to use these texts. You'll obviously understand why when you hear them, uh, but uh, nevertheless, here they are. The first is from Hebrews. It's an interpretation of the meaning of the life and work and death and resurrection of Christ. And so let us listen now for God's word from the letter to the Hebrews. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Since, therefore, the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all, who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to that he did not come to help angels, he came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered. He is able to help those who are being tested. So, an interpretation of the meaning of Christ in terms of suffering, in terms of testing, and in terms of God's solidarity with humankind. And now let's hear the gospel lesson. It's from the Gospel of Matthew, the second chapter, and uh, it is part of the story of the visit of the Magi to uh, the, the child Jesus, and this is uh, sort of the, the second half of the story that the lectionary puts these readings out of order, so next week is the first half of the story. Now, after they, the Magi, had left, had left seeing Jesus in Bethlehem, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take this child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for this child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. 
When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, a voice is heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Now I do not know why I kind of didn't want to preach on that story. Uh, well, reality hit home this morning. Um, Christmas is over. Uh, the tree came down. The decorations were put away. The lights bagged up. Some thrown away because they don't work reliably. It's always amazing to me how long we prepare for Christmas and how suddenly and quickly it's over. It's like the air being popped out of a balloon, just poof. I mean, think back to when you first saw or heard a Christmas commercial or advertisement. When, what month was it? September? August? Think back to when you first started thinking about buying Christmas gifts. Was it June, maybe? We, we, we start preparing for Christmas months in advance, and then it just seems like it's over. And yet today we know we're still in the midst of the 12 days of Christmas. Uh, it's, it's really not over. Uh, but as I said this very day, this morning, in our house, we went back to the secular time. Christmas is over. Uh, all the decorations have been put away. It, re it reminds me of W.H. Auden's wry observation in his Christmas oratorio. This is what he wrote. Well, so that is that. Now we must dismantle the tree, putting the decorations back in their cardboard boxes. The holly and the mistletoe must be taken down. The children get ready for school. There are enough leftovers to do, warmed up for the rest of the week. Not that we have much of an appetite, having drunk such a lot, stayed up so late, attempted quite unsuccessfully to love all of our relatives, and in general grossly overestimated our powers. And yet, because we are still in the 12 days of Christmas, we have a Christmas story, a sequel, you could say, to the uh, the main event, the, the baby being born in a manger in Bethlehem, the story of the wise men or the magi uh, coming from the east uh, to see this new king. And I recently discovered something that Peter Gomes wrote that I think is uh, really uh, apt for these 12 days of Christmas. He said, it is very difficult to tear ourselves from Bethlehem. There is a time to lay down one's cares and duties and run to Bethlehem and the manger. 
a time to follow the star, a time to flee for refuge from the troubles of the world. There is also a time to return, to begin where we left off. For we have come from an encounter with the world of the possible in the midst of the impossible. We have seen God and survived to tell the tale, moving about, not knowing that our faces shine with the encounter, bearing the mark of the encounter forever, and marveling in the darkest night of the soul at that wondrous star-filled night. I remember back just a few days ago to Christmas Eve when the lights were turned off in here. It was dark, and we started lighting candles, and we were lighting candles row by row, and everyone held a candle, and as you looked out, all of your faces were illuminated in the darkness. Like Moses on Sinai, that encounter with God that changes everything. And when Moses came down from the mountain, he didn't even realize his face was still glowing. But we know that it's that encounter that, that can change everything. And if we haven't had that yet, we're still seeking it. Which brings us to today's story of the Magi seeking. And more specifically to Herod, the Herod the Great. We move from the sweet child born in a manger to the real world of hate and hardship and injustice and fear, especially fear. Herod was a very fearful potentate. He even killed members of his own family out of fear that they might try to oppose him. John Steinbeck wrote that it's not power that corrupts, it's fear that corrupts. And more specifically, the fear of the loss of power. And that was certainly true of Herod. He was afraid of losing power. And who isn't? And so he planned to do an awful thing in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph are warned in a dream that they must leave this place to save the baby's life. But introducing this horrible story into the sweetness of Christmas, it really is a loss of innocence for the whole Christmas pageant, isn't it? It's, it's the part that we really can't hardly talk about. This loss of innocence that not only occurred in Bethlehem, but also in our own lives at some point. I think it occurred in our whole society when we saw pictures of that little boy washed up on the beach, that refugee child that had died. Or that little boy sitting bloody in the back of an ambulance in Aleppo. We, like, we lose our innocence. Our defenses are cracked open when we see such things. And perhaps in other ways and in other times in our lives, 
our, our defenses are broken, through our failures or betrayals, through the withholding of mercy, when we discover that we really are alone and are alone responsible for ourselves in our lives. And so the story, this story of the, the holy innocents, they're called, the slaughter of the innocents, it is a bringing together of the Christmas incarnational story with the story of the cross. It is the idea that God is with us, not just in the quiet beauty of a starlit night, but also in the reality even in the most awful times and circumstances of our world. Mary and Joseph go to Egypt even as the people of Israel had gone to Egypt before. And then eventually they are told that it is okay now to return home. And so they go back to Bethlehem which is the house of bread, where Jesus will become the bread of life, where he will be broken and where he will feed multitudes. And as we follow Mary and Joseph to and fro, we see that the life of discipleship is lived as an itinerant existence on the edge of the empire, not at the center it is lived not in Rome or even in Jerusalem, but rather on the margins, in the house of bread. A number of years ago, there was a movie called The Fourth Wise Men. There were a number of noted actors and actresses in it. And it is the story about a fourth wise man who shows up late. And so he misses the trip with the other three. Uh, he's always trying to catch up with them. Wherever they go, uh, he's just a few days behind. And he, he uh, is carrying his own gifts for the king. He has some precious gems. And so along the way, he comes into circumstances where there are people in dire need, and he he gives out some of the gems to these people in need. And finally, when he gets to Bethlehem, it's too late. The baby has gone, but he is seeing the slaughter of the innocents. And so he takes his last gem, and he gives it to one of the soldiers as a bride to save the life of a child. And he's discouraged because he's never seen this Christ's child, the Messiah that he is seeking, this new king. And so he travels on and travels on, and eventually he comes to hear the words of Matthew 25, uh, that when I was hungry and you fed me, that is you were actually feeding the Christ. And when you visited me in prison, you were visiting the Christ, the face of Christ in the people that you helped along the way. So as we enter into a new year, perhaps resolve to improve our lives or improve the lives of 
those around us. Let us be assured that God is with us as a light in the darkness, not far above it, but even in the circumstances of the real world, leading us on our journey to and fro, perhaps in dreams, perhaps through each other, perhaps through the Word made flesh. Thanks be to God.